we got some rule changes, right? But the one rule change that we need, if you're a play caller, why are we still doing hand signals? Why are we still doing wristbands and and yes. the, the boards on the sidelines? Like, what are we doing? If we're going to make these rule changes and make this game more like the NFL and have more commercials, then why aren't we putting a mic in the quarterback's helmet so we can call the plays directly to him? It's just absurd to me that college football has not adopted this. Bird right, 18 premium diesel. Joe Montana, Buster Douglas, John Elway, John Elway. Daisy right, Soy, Blitz right, Travolta right, pumpkin left, alert, Charlotte left. Go on. Bunch right, Zach. We'll go 15 tip scissors. Cannon to 300 jet F stick. Victory is a great play call. Right. Welcome back to another episode of the Play Callers Club. We're fired up to have you here. We're up early on a Monday morning to record after a great weekend of football. Uh, man, there's a lot to a lot to talk about, a lot to unpack. But I think you know the best place to start is the game that everybody watched. I would I would assume everybody watched on Saturday night, Alabama and Texas. Pretty iconic statement win for Steve Sarkeesian and and the Texas Longhorns and. Yeah, I think we'll take a take a minute to talk about offensive football on each side and kind of what we saw, some of the observations we made. I'll start. I guess we'll start by welcoming Rashad back after uh, working on a working on a little secret project here. So he's he's back with us now. And uh, uh, Rashad, what were some of your thoughts from that Texas Alabama game? Glad glad to be back. Definitely definitely missed you guys. Um, yeah, glad to be back. So. It was a fun game watching Texas versus Alabama. You, you know, um, Texas fans had a lot more to be desired based off last year's outcome. Um, offensively, watching the Alabama offense this year versus last year is like two different teams. Um, yeah. You know, the, the catalyst for that change is definitely, you know, new OC and um, new quarterback, right? Uh, Bryce Bryce Young is definitely a difference maker, as we know. First round, first round overall draft pick now with the Panthers. Compared to uh, Milrow, the you know current quarterback, so it seemed throughout the game that Alabama, I know it was only game two for them, but they couldn't find their identity and couldn't find just something that they were confident in um, throughout the game as a as a team. There's times in which uh, Milrow was looking accurate, looking controlled, other times looking erratic uh, throughout the game, in which it kind of played to Texas's favor. Uh, overall, my biggest takeaway from watching that game was just Sark just dialing it up. It was cool to see a coach attack Alabama, like in a vertical sense, also in a horizontal sense, just stretching the field, side out and sideline, and stretching the field in a vertical way. They had some fun offensively last uh, on Saturday night playing, uh, um, uh, you know, calling plays. My favorite concept that I saw, they did a, it's kind of similar to what, like, similar to, I love that I got out of 12 personnel. They did this like corner post wheel concept and it was just Alabama didn't see it coming in up scoring on it. Like I think on the third or fourth quarter. So it was fun to see, um, you know, Texas kind of just attack Alabama in that way. And I'll be intrigued to see how SEC offenses that have explosive playmakers down the field kind of continue that trend. Obviously you need to have, you know, guys on the outside and a, and a good trigger man. But um, yeah, that was really cool to see Sark just doll it up against them. It was like refreshing to see a team just attack up Alabama in that way. Usually teams kind of like, 
oh, it's Alabama, let's, like, hold back, let's be conservative, but Sark was very aggressive, and um, I know we talked about this a few episodes ago on I Am Athlete podcast, not, it's like the Pivot podcast, how Sark talks about how he reinvents his offense every year, and it truly showed uh, on Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, they, they were super aggressive, I think particularly in that second half. It was interesting, you know, the first half it seemed like they were playing at Alabama's pace, not not Texas necessarily, but the game play was kind of Alabama's pace, the play, the pace they wanted to play at to kind of grind the game out. Um, but they really just they couldn't get it going on the ground enough to keep that pace of play. I think we had talked a lot in previous episodes about how the rule changes could potentially favor a team that wants to slow the game down and wants to take possessions away. And I think that was kind of initially happening with Alabama, but as the game progressed, it definitely trended toward both teams playing at Texas's pace. And I think that was one thing that was interesting for me was I think Sark did a really good job with play design for sure. But I also think he did a really good job of utilizing tempo and picking his spots using tempo as a tool. And one play in particular that stood out to me was they tempoed into uh, a pistol formation and ran a boot concept with a tight end leak. And it was kind of a big explosive play to the tight end Sanders. And uh, it was really a very timely call, but it was also, you know, using tempo, being aggressive. And, and normally you don't see teams, you know, you, if you see teams using tempo, it's normally a more simplistic concept like, hey, we're going to tempo run inside zone after a big play. Um, but the fact that they tempoed to a tight end leak concept, which is, you know, takes some time to develop and is a little more complex, that was pretty impressive and definitely showed that, you know, they were they were locked in, they were prepared, and it really seemed like Quinn Ewers is, has taken that next step as a quarterback um, where he seems to feel a lot more comfortable in the system, a lot more confident in what he's doing, and he seemed very in control uh, against Alabama, which is, it's hard to do, man. It's hard to do when, when Alabama's uh, lined up against definitely. you to, to feel that, that in control of, was that of the situation. That they ran, was that like kind of late in the third quarter, third quarter, maybe early fourth quarter? Yeah. I want to say, I want to say maybe th- third or yeah, I think it was third quarter. Maybe. I feel like it was when Alabama had just scored one of those big touchdowns to kind of get themselves back in it and take the momentum back yes. a little bit. And Texas just went like three plays, boom, boom, boom. I don't know if it's exactly what you're talking about, but that that honestly to me was kind of the most impressive was that, you know, Alabama kind of, you know, hit back. And that's normally when teams are like, well, okay, you know, we've, we've kind of done our part. We showed up. And that's kind of almost what happened a little bit last year. I mean, obviously Ewers got hurt. Um, but it's like, man, they just, I mean, they hit them right back in the mouth and you can tell, and kind of speaking back to Rashad's point about, um, identity, it's like normally a team doesn't walk into Tuscaloosa and they're the one with the identity and not Alabama. And it's like, it's like you said, Alabama, they had a plan of running the ball and they, they, they just didn't have it. They couldn't run the ball. And so then now they're like trying to figure it out the entire game. It's like Sark never lost his identity. He he knew which guys he wanted to scheme up and get the ball. He knew when he wanted to take his shots. He knew when he wanted to run, you know, the power run game. He knew when he wanted to get the ball out fast. He knew when he wanted to run tempo. And it's like I feel like Texas just never really lost 
you know, like you said, after kind of the game started and they got in a flow a little bit, I just feel like they never really lost control of the game. Yeah, they, they definitely seemed in control. And I think I, I just the more I'm watching higher level college football, the more I'm seeing it trend toward being more like an NFL. Um, the flow of the game is more NFL. And I think what that means is unless you're going to be absolutely dominant running the football, it's very hard to win without um, a high-level quarterback. I don't want to say elite quarterback, but a high-level quarterback. And I think you saw the difference. Um, obviously, Milrow flashed his ability. He's a he's going. He could be a very good player down the road, but uh, turnovers uh, killed him. Obviously, definitely. Yeah. And and I think if I'm looking at the big picture of the weekend in all the games that I watched the turnover battle told the story in so right. many of these games. You know, you can go through the box scores on a lot of these games and you're like, wow, you know, pretty similar yardage. I mean, obviously, you know, Texas had 450 total yards. That's pretty impressive. But in a lot of the games this weekend, it's like, man, these teams kind of both moved the football. And then you look at the box score and you're like, oh, wow, they lost the turnover battle two to nothing. They lost the turnover battle three to one. And you're like, okay, that, Maybe that's telling the story of this game, and I think to a degree, that turnover battle is that's a it's just a huge stat that coaches talk about all the time, and I think it, it really showed up this weekend that turnovers uh, will win or lose you football games without a doubt. Oh, definitely, yeah. And I remember watching that game and seeing Milro. He threw, I think it was like a out route. He threw it late, and the linebackers, the overhang linebackers, just sat on it and watched him make the throw. Because he saw the corner, I think he saw the corner on top of the out route, and he threw it right at him without even realizing. And that kind of changed that changed the game for them because um, Texas was able to score immediately on the next drive, and Texas was able to drop twenty one points in that fourth quarter. Which I don't have the stats to it, but I'll be very intrigued how many teams have scored who came into Tuscaloosa recently over the past probably fifteen years who scored twenty one points in the fourth quarter to beat Alabama. Ever, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, who, who's, who's done that against Nick Saban's defense, right? So, well, you know, be very intrigued to see how SEC shakes out. I get it. It's one game. I mean, this is an instant reaction just for me. But, you know, it's one game, right? And be intrigued to see how teams uh, may use that game plan. I mean, being aggressive, right? Kind of kind of smelling. I can't say smelling blood and water because only game two. But I know that <laughs> it seemed like Nick Saban would have been you know, having the guys practice on, on Sunday morning with, with how you felt after that press conference. So I'm um, intrigued to see how Alabama looks moving forward and just how Texas carries his confidence, right? This is their swan song in the Big 12. So they feel like they have a target on their back because of um, the commissioner made some comments in regards to just, you know, them leaving recently. So be intrigued to see how Texas just carries his own. And um, Ewers, yeah, Ewers looked good. He looked, looked in control of the offense. Um like you were saying earlier, they were running, you know, NFL concepts and they're able to, you know, run the ball a little bit. But um, seeing a connection between Jatavion Sanders and Ubers kind of developed last night was was um, was pretty cool. Because usually Xavier Worthy is their guy. I mean, he did right. have a good game, but it seemed like Sanders really stepped up. So they have two guys. But as you know, you know, Texas has many receivers they could they could sling the ball to. But um, yeah, it's going to be. Football is back. I mean, obviously, it's like week two for um, in a week two for college and week one for um, for NFL. So it was just cool seeing just football being back and seeing these competitive games throughout the landscape. Yeah, yeah. I think um, 
man, when you look at Texas's skill positions, or just when we did the breakdown of the Texas uh, offenses, and the, they're just so loaded in the pass game. You know, Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, um, and then seeing Jatavian Sanders kind of come on as a, a real target, a real threat. I think he he kind of solidified himself for me this weekend. Of wow, that was a that's a big time game against a big time team on the road. And um, I think if if they get that kind of production from the tight end group, they're going to be really really hard to to deal with. And you know when I think back on Sark's you know Alabama national championship team, do, does is there a part of it? of this Texas offense that kind of reminds you of that just with what they have at the, in the receiver room and who they have pulling the trigger at quarterback. I think yours has a little bit more of a live arm than Mac Jones, but it seems like he's kind of settling into distributing the football in the same sort of ways that Mac Jones was. I don't know. I mean, I hate to draw too close of a comparison because you got some um, all pro uh, all pro pro bowl type players on that Alabama right. offense, but it could be interesting to see that shape up throughout the season. Oh, yeah, because that was the offense you would say with, like, Waddle and Ruggs and Judy and all those guys, right? So um, I don't know if there's going to be, you know, three or four first-round guys, you know, in a tight end receiver group, you know, this season or next season, but they could develop into that, right? But they have so much talent, so many playmakers. And truly, that's, you know, that's how you attack, you know, Alabama's defense, like, with their rip-liz rip concepts, right? So you got to have guys who can win downfield, who can route guys, you know. And I know, like, usually – in NFL, there's more wide receivers who could like route guys up and like win one on ones and win immediately, um, because the throwing windows are tighter in NFL. While college guys, they have some guys have to be wide open to to, to seem like they're winning downfield. But Texas showed that they were just routing those guys up. And um, Alabama, you could tell it was like early season game for Alabama. And once again, like I'm not saying Alabama's done or anything, but it was just intriguing, intriguing to see how Sark just attacked them. He felt like my guys offensively are better than your guys on defense. We're going to show you tonight, and it, it showed in the big moments of the game, especially in that fourth quarter. Definitely, definitely. Now a huge win for Texas, and you know, kind of moving toward the next uh, game that I was really, really focused on this weekend after some of our review from last week is uh, that Ole Miss and Tulane game. Um, I was able to catch most of that game, and I had kind of said last week that I would not be surprised at all if Tulane won this football game. And uh, I was feeling pretty good about that until I found out that their quarterback, Michael Pratt, was going to be out for the game. And he he obviously missed the game with an injury, but the backup, Kai Horton, stepped in, and... Tulane was up 17-10 at halftime. I mean, they gave they gave Ole Miss everything they had. I think ultimately they ran out of gas and Lane Kiffin kind of got things rolling toward the end of the the end of the game there for Ole Miss and they were able to they were able to pile on some scores at the end. But if you look at the final score and you see, uh, you know, Ole Miss won 37 to 20, you might think that Ole Miss was just kind of in control of that game, but I would say Tulane was very much in the mix all the way up until maybe midway through the fourth quarter um, when Ole Miss kind of started to pull away and put some scores together. Um, but I still am pretty dogged about Tulane being a very good football team, and they ran the football well. The The backup quarterback came in and operated pretty confidently against an Ole Miss defense. Pete Golding, Pete Golding led Ole Miss defense, and 
I, I will still beat the drum that Tulane is for real. And I think if they have a have their starting quarterback, Michael Pratt, in that game, it we could be talking about an upset right now. Well, what was impressive to me in that game is how well Tulane ran the ball as opposed to – I mean, Ole Miss is kind of the team you would think would come into that game and Correct. You know, kind of dominate the run game. I think they ran for like 89 yards or something like that, which is super – Unlike them, I, I think that I don't know if it's just because they got behind and they started, you know, thinking we got to throw the ball a little bit more. But I would have thought that, you know, from the get go, Ole Miss would have kind of dominated the run game and just controlled the tempo of the game. And then, kind of back to your point you've been making about the clock, I don't know if that's kind of something that, you know, messed it up a little bit. But I feel like, once again, if Tulane has their quarterback, they were controlling the ball, controlling the clock and the run game. I feel like if they just had that trigger man back there, we're you know maybe talking about a different storyline. Yeah, I I really do feel like the clock is messing with a lot of these coaches, and obviously Lane Lane Kiffin's had a lot of comments about it, um, and I think maybe to the to maybe the casual fan, you would think of Lane Kiffin as like offensive guru throwing it around, all you know all this stuff, but Lane Kiffin wants to run the football, and that's that is an identity piece for Ole Miss and with who they have in the running back room, uh, Quinshawn Judkins, unbelievable running back, but he had, you know, he was averaging like two and a half yards of carry, um, against Tulane. Tulane, I thought did a really good job defensively, especially early on. I think they maybe started to run out of gas a little bit and Jackson Dart figured some things out in the past game, but Lane Kiffin wants to run the football. Like that's who he wants to be. And it's just interesting to see with the way the clock is working how it's kind of pushing these coordinators and play callers away from the run game probably faster than they would like and so it's really interesting to it's going to see interesting it's going to be interesting for me to see if this kind of course corrects and they and people figure out how to run the football effectively and how to you know manage the the game a little bit more Um, but right now it seems like you you almost have to throw the ball to to win right now, which is it's it's kind of weird to see in college football. Do you feel like you're yeah. seeing a lot more first down passing? Oh, without a doubt. I feel like I, I, a, I mean, obviously, it would be extremely hard to like keep up with and track over like the years, but it would be interesting to see like first down passing numbers this year as opposed to last year. I feel like everyone I watch seeing like almost seventy five percent pass on first down, which is just. Uh, just just an interesting, you know, thing to keep up with. And then I feel like you see a lot more second down run to kind of follow that up as opposed to sometimes the other way around. Sometimes it's like, okay, see what we can get on first and then maybe, you know, tempo into a pass, maybe tempo into another run. But now it seems like it's almost switched to, okay, let's see if we can get something on first in the passing game and then maybe we'll, you know, go with a quick run or something like that. Yeah, it, it's yeah. I agree, it, it, and it seems too. I might be wrong about this. That it seems it feels like to me watching some of these offensive coordinators when they're calling games. It seems like there's more urgency in the first quarter because there could be, I mean, not concern or running out of plays at the end of the game, but more so, it just seems like they're like, all right, we need to get ahead of this because you know we we um, we don't have as many plays as we used to, especially the, especially the air raid or the, the spread offensive guys um, to kind of take advantage of doing those early down throws, you know, when it comes to just running their offense. It seems game plan, schematically wise, I'm seeing more shots in the first quarter, more shots in that first or second drive just to kind of get the get points on the board. 
yeah, I, I think there's a, there is a sense of urgency, Rashad. I think you're exactly right on that. And I, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I think there will be a leveling off. But when Jake, as you were talking about throwing on first down, that's really, I think, a big influence of the NFL kind of analytics movement of, you know, I, there's a there's a stat out there that you can follow. If it's it's one that I'm kind of interested in. Uh, called EPA, expected points added. So for every play, is this expected to add to our chances of scoring or to, or kind of decrease our chances of scoring? And so I think the teams in the NFL that have the highest EPA per, you know, per play are typically most effective throwing the football. And it's interesting. I think some of that analytics is starting to filter into the college game as the as the rules start to change and shift and yeah I I think we're fundamentally going to be going to start playing a different game I think as the balance of power is consolidated to really kind of a big two and a half conferences um, maybe trending even toward a super league it's basically NFL light and I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of the same things that kind of happen in, in the NFL, happen in, at the higher levels of college. And um, I think there's a part of me that's a little sad about that because there's something so unique about the college game, the, the diversity of offenses. And I wonder if some of these rule changes and just the way the game is trending is going to kind of take away some of those uh, unique offenses and, and make us a little more standardized across the board. Well, in the two games I watched – you know, most closely this weekend were Texas Bama and A&M Miami, and both were very similar situations in the fourth quarter where, you know, A&M's down 11, Bama's down 11 or whatever, and they both score, and then they end up giving up another score to kind of go back down 11, and now it's like, you know, it just seems like so much time comes off the clock so fast now, it's like, well, that's pretty much it. We've, you know, it, it used to be you'd have these – you know, high power fourth quarters where teams are just kind of going back and forth, throwing shots. And now it's like, all it takes is one or two first downs and you can pretty much melt the entire clock in the fourth quarter. And, you know, that just takes away, like you said, it's, you know, everybody's got to figure it out. Everybody's got to adjust to it, but it takes away a little bit of the intrigue in the fourth quarter. And it also changes completely how you have to approach, you know, the first three quarters, because now it's like, you know, if you're down double digits at some point in the fourth quarter, you're in trouble. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I and I wonder too because the new rules, correct me if I'm wrong, um, involves no more clocks not stopping anymore after first downs. Now correct. does it and it changes after the last two minutes of the game, right? Perhaps, right? So yep, and which stops? Okay, yeah. So I mean that affects teams when you're playing from behind in the third or fourth quarter. Like you have like a a lower, I mean a lower uh, lower lower life cycle, right? Like you have to figure it out immediately because you do, you can run out of time. You get pretty much just like you're competing. It's, I mean, you always compete against the clock when you're behind, but it seems like the clock is a bigger adversary versus like that opponent's defense. So intrigued to see how teams adjust to that as you're playing from behind, you know, in the second or third quarter, like do they abandon a run earlier? Um, do they focus on passing sooner? Do they do more shot plays, more trick plays in the second quarter? Like what do teams do as an offense? Because, it seems like you're, you know, I read a stat earlier that you're missing out on 30 or 40 plays a game now compared to, you know, years past. So it definitely helps out defenses and teams that 
and teams that are just really dominant running games because they could just grind the clock out and just get get end teams. But if you're a running team and you're behind, it's kind of like good luck getting ahead because if you can't throw yep, the ball, you're in, you're, you're, you're in a bad <laughs> spot. Yeah, well, I, I think this is – I'm going to get on my soapbox here for a second. I Go, uh, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> I get – you know we got we got some rule changes right but the one rule change that we need if you're a play caller why are we still doing hand signals why are we still doing wristbands and and yes. the, the boards on the sidelines like what are we doing if we're going to make these rule changes and make this game more like the NFL and have more commercials then why aren't we putting a mic in the quarterback's helmet so we can call the plays directly to him it's just absurd to me that college football has not adopted this. It, it is not an expense thing. It is it is cheap. Like we 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 use it at practice. We use sure we use walkie talkies at practice for high school to relay plays. Like this, it's ridiculous to me that we're still hand signaling in college football. Utter, utterly absurd. And I think if we're going to play this game. Um, the way it's being played right now, we need to fix some like really basic things from a technology standpoint. Like, come on, we should be able to call plays directly into the quarterback's helmet. It's it. I just don't think it's that hard. Can we get that figured out, please? It drives me absolutely nuts. I just yeah. It, there's there's definitely it's definitely more optimal right for for the offense, and you could have it for a defense too. Throw you a bone. Yeah, and especially with missing out on plays. Just speed it up. I mean, the game's already faster as it is now. So, like, just just speed things up by eliminating the hand signals and just going right into, you know, doing like the NFL does, right? When the it, the play, it cuts off after what fifteen seconds left to go. I, to yeah, play I clock. think it's fifteen seconds on the play yeah, clock. So they could they could do the same thing, and it would be it would be kind of cool to see at the college level because if, if you have that freshman quarterback or that first that first year starter, it'd be cool to see like offensive coordinator just like throw him a bone, being like. Hey, look for the post on this. Look over the post on this play. Or hey, look at totally. safety. And like, it'd be cool to see how that changes things because, from a scheme point of view, um, I mean, NFL's been doing it for years. That's kind of like part of the vernacular, part of just the, the routine um, for NFL teams. But it'd be cool to see offensive coordinators speak directly to their guys right before you know, right before a play, telling them to play, telling them what to look for, and seeing like seeing how the, the quarterback adjusts. I could see um, college sports playing well. So my question, my my question to you is. How would that affect, you know, evaluations of college quarterbacks? Would it be the argument be like, well, he's a good quarterback. We make good decisions because it's a good OC. Or do you see mm -hmm. just good quarterbacks just rising to the top no matter what because of their ability? That's that's a good the, – the quarterback question is a good question. I think, if anything, they're just more prepared and ready to yeah. play in the NFL with that kind of like – expectation that the, the OC is going to be on in your headset. And so I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it necessarily changes the evaluation. I think it just streamlines the connection between an offensive coordinator and a, and a quarterback. And I think at the end of the day, the NFL, I, a lot of like fans will make fun of the NFL. Like their play calls are too long and it, too verbose and there's too many words. And like, I get all that, but they're able to offer a level of specificity in the play call because they are able to use more words because it's not on a, it's not on your wristband. It's not, you don't have to hand signal everything. And 
I think in college, you have to college and high school, you have to simplify because you're trying to signal stuff in or you're trying to fit it on a wristband or, you know, these, these different things. And so I think if anything, it would increase the importance of the quarterback position at in colleges, if it's not already that important, um, obviously it is. Uh, but yeah, I think it would give coaches a lot more, I don't know if control is the right word, but a lot more like ability to be really specific on, on what they're doing. And my whole thing is like, if we're going to have less plays, the plays have to be of a higher quality. Fair. And so that's the one thing that I think frustrates me about the college game right now is like, what used to make it fun watching Chip Kelly's Oregon teams is they'd run a hundred snaps a game and yeah, they might run inside zone 25 times, but because they were playing with tempo, they were able to kind of wear people down and really bust some plays. But I think you just, you can't do that anymore. That's not the way the game is trending. And so you have to play differently and we need more. I think we need a higher degree of, uh, complexity in the offensive game if we're going to have fewer plays. Yeah, I can speak as a fan of a team that I watched it take about 20 seconds to get a signal in the other day. Oof. Uh, and then I, it, it was kind of funny, actually, because they were showing that angle like behind the quarterback where you can like see the signalers. And I'm just like watching it all happen. And I, I mean, Dan, I didn't even think about the headset, but I was like, man, now that now that you say that, that's just like that would be a dream come true for me not have, to have to witness that anymore. <laughs> You're not a fan of the red, blue, yellow guys. I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is taking forever. <laughs> oh, it's it's painful. It's painful to watch. Um, and Jake, not to dwell on pain, but I think we do need to talk a little bit about the Aggies going down to Miami. Um, I think there are some positives that we can draw from particularly the quarterback, Connor Wegman. Um, but do you want to weigh in on uh, the fight in Texas Aggies and kind of where we're at, where we stand? Yeah, it was, I'd say, I mean, points wise, I think if you were to say, hey, we scored 33, I think most fans would have said, hey, we're probably going to win that game. Uh, I mean, it didn't turn out that way. I mean, first of all, Miami is a team we need to talk about, too. I mean, I, we'll no see doubt. where they are down the line. I think they've either got Clemson this week or coming up pretty soon. Um, so that should be an interesting matchup. I mean, they were throwing the ball all over the yard. They were running the ball really well. I mean, they're they're definitely one to keep an eye on. Um, but, I mean, it turned into an offensive game. I mean, a game that I think there was like 26 points last year ended up being like 80 points this year. So, obviously, improvements on both sides – for the offense. Um, but for AM, I feel like it was definitely a step back in the sense that this offense looked very Jimbo ish. Um, <laughs> you know, you brought, you brought Bobby Petrino in to kind of add this, you know, flavor and style. And, you know, people are wanting to see a little bit more differentiation on offense, a little bit more motion, you know, moving some guys around. And it just, it looked, you know, you saw in the first game, they kept things very vanilla, but they kind of used some tempo a little bit. They had some shot plays. They, you know, had some misdirection. It was like this game, you just saw a lot of what you saw last year. And the only reason they scored more points is they just have more talent. Um, you 
know, Connor Wegman's obviously a really good quarterback. You got good receivers, but I mean, Anaya Smith, a guy that we talked about in the preseason, who's kind of your Swiss Army knife, is just kind of being wasted away in the slot, getting, you know, one or two catches a game. And he's a guy, yeah. once again, he's, he's way too good not to be used in the backfield and some 20 personnel. Um, you know, throw some routes to him out of there, have him run the ball a little bit. Uh, and then they ran, shoot, I feel like the one time they called a motion, it was third down, and they taught, they ran the outside receiver motion across and ran mesh rail, hit the running back for like a 25-yard gain, and that was the one time that they called a pass play with any sort of motion. And besides that, they're just lining up at two-by-two two or three-by-one and just – it. To me, it's if you've got a super, you know, a fourth or fifth year senior quarterback, you've got this O line that's just been there for a long time. You've got receivers that, you know, know the drill. That's when you can call that play in and have your quarterback, you know, check in at the line, get you in the perfect play. But when you've got a bunch of first and second year guys, it's like, hey, pick up the tempo and maybe, you know, go scheme a team a little bit like Texas did to Alabama. But you can't just line up, and too many defenses have seen these concepts now that if you yes. just line up and run them at them, they, they know how to pass it off. They know how to play it. They know you know what to expect on certain down and distances. It's like, hey, when it's third and ten, they're probably going to run something that sticks. And if you snap the ball five seconds, you're letting the defense get their bearings. But if you you know if you run with a little tempo or you use some motion to you know confuse the defense, that's when you can gain the advantage as a play caller. And I don't know, you know, I don't know what the whole dynamic is there, but it really felt like a, you know, hey, we had a little too much fun on offense last week. Let's kind of rein it in a little bit here. <laughs> it just, it was, you know, it was extremely frustrating to see after, you know, a very positive week one. Yeah, Jake, you mentioned the offense kind of looking Jimbo-ish. I think... That's one of the things that I've been interested to see as the season progresses for A&M is when they do play a game of utmost importance like a Miami, how does the how do how do responsibilities uh kind of sort themselves out? And again, I'm not I'm not claiming that Jimbo was calling the plays, but like I would imagine in the in the lead up to that week there's a yeah, lot of conversation definitely, between definitely. the two. I feel like definitely in the game planning, it was like, hey, this is what this this needs to look like. I mean, yeah. I, I I swear to you, it just I felt like I was watching a game last season, and the only difference was, you know, guys are a year further in the system. You've got a quarterback with a little bit more talent, but that's about it. I mean, it really – there's yeah. just no – I don't know. There was just not really a lot of substance to that offense that I saw. The, that's not – knock on the players at all because they're just running what's called for. And they, it, it drove me nuts too, because Miami's bringing six or seven guys, you know, every single play. And it's like, okay, if you don't have that figured out in the first half, I get it. You know, they're, they're bringing the house at you. You're a young quarterback. They're, they're free releasing the back every time and they're not getting the ball to the back. So it's like, okay, we got to have a plan there. We either got to block him or we got to be ready to get the ball to him. And it was right. like, same story in the second half. They're still – I was like, there's no way they're going to blitz as much in the second half because they know that we're going to adjust to it. They just kept blitzing, and we just kept not adjusting to it. 
was like, I, we cannot be having people get paid this much money to not make adjustments. And, and though, honestly, those adjustments should be happening on the sideline. It shouldn't be taking that long yeah. for that to happen, but you would think we could at least sit down at halftime and be, Hey, you know, here's what we're going to do. We've got a plan for this moving forward. And it, it was just like, nope, we're just going to keep running the same stuff and hope that it works a little bit differently this time. Yeah. I have a question for you guys. So with, uh, with, with Bobby P being up in a box and you have, you know, Connor being like a first year full-time starter this year with the, with, with the Aggies, do you see a potential, um, I guess not disconnect, but a relationship that will be easier to communicate with him being on the sideline and talking to Connor in between drives consistently. Um, so, do, so my question is, do you see there being issues being that Bobby's up top and Connor obviously on the field that could be mitigated if he was able to kind of talk to him in between drives and like be there next to him? Or yeah, do you I, see it not being an issue? I think if it wasn't the dynamic that it was with Jimbo, it really wouldn't be as much of a problem. My thing is when, I mean, and I don't see them showing Connor on the sidelines too much, but the times I do, I don't see, you know, they'll, they'll show quarterback on sidelines sometimes. And when his guy's in the box, he's got the headset on talking to him. I don't know right. if I've ever seen him with the headset on talking to him. So it's like, does that just mean that Jimbo's the one talking to him on the sidelines or some other offensive staffer is communicating something to him on the sidelines? If so, that's a problem. Because we talk about all the time, the play caller and the quarterback relationship is the most important one on the field. Literally. He's literally going to the sidelines and not having any – I mean, because I'm – after that, you know, second or third drive, I'm, hey, you got to hit the back out of the backfield when they're bringing that extra guy off the edge. Or, you know, here's our adjustment to this. And if that communication's not happening and you're just telling somebody else that and then you're, they're telling you that and then there's no, you know, back and forth. I mean, I, I remember when I used to be on the headset with my coordinator and there's – it's not just you listening to him. It's you have the opportunity now to – have a conversation back, a back bit, with yeah. him and say, Hey, you know, coach, this is what I'm seeing. And if that conversation's not happening, I mean, and I really, I really don't, I haven't seen him with a headset or a phone or anything at any point on the sidelines. And that's, you know, I don't want to make a claim because I'm not 100% sure, but someone who's watched every play of the last two games, I haven't seen him at one point talking to Petrino in the box. And that's extremely concerning. Well, and Bobby Petrino is the offensive coordinator quarterbacks coach. Yes. So that's a combined title, right? And so if you're in the box, who is your person on the sideline communicating with the quarterback? If you look down the, if you look down the list, right, of coaches, it's like, are we talking about like a quarterback's GA that's now responsible Mm -hmm. for communicating with Connor Wegman on the sideline or is it Jimbo or is it another assistant coach? So yeah, I mean, I do think, I, I do think. Um, obviously, I, I would imagine he's getting on the headset, and maybe they haven't shown it on the broadcast. But um, yeah, I think that the communication is really challenging in that situation. If your quarterback coach slash play caller is up in the booth, who is kind of the point person to talk a young quarterback through some different things? And speaking of adjustments, Jake. You know, you you mentioned adjusting even before halftime on the sidelines, and that's something Bill Belichick used to talk a lot about, is that the first quarter, he was basically using the first quarter to decide, hey, did we practice the right things? Did we install the right things? Is our game plan appropriate for the opponent? 
And during the second quarter, he was actively making adjustments. And so a, a lot of people think like, hey, we're going to go in at halftime and make adjustments. Like those adjustments need to be happening before halftime. You can't just yep. waste a whole half of football um, running the same stuff against the same looks. You have to make adjustments beforehand. And so I well, think that was, you know, that, was very, that was very obvious with the way the score went because A&M was up 17 to 7, I think either at the end of the first quarter or early in the second quarter, and then it's 21-17 at half. Clearly, those adjustments weren't made in the second quarter. Yeah, and and I, you just can't wait for half, for halftime, especially with the right. way the clock's moving. I know we've been hammering on that point recently, but you you have to make adjustments beforehand. And yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's easy to to kind of pile on at this point, but I think one kind of on the offensive side positive. Uh, just for offensive football in general, I know it's not going to make Aggie fans feel great, but Miami looks like a totally different football team this year offensively. Um, obviously, year two for Cristobal, year one for OC Shannon Dawson, and Tyler Van Dyke looks incredibly comfortable in that system. Again, it's it's not air raid per se, but like definitely a lot more of those air raid concepts. You know, you're going to see four verts, you're going to see mesh, you're going to see shallow cross you're going to see kind of like those staple concepts and he just seems like he has a handle on things and you're starting to see tyler van dyke you know step into what we all expected him to be last year and you're like man this this kid could probably be a pretty high draft pick if he keeps this pace yeah their receiver room looks very competent very very competent the slots looked good the outside guys look good Xavier Restrepo is a problem in the middle of the field, and then just Colby George, um, big receiver who can who can make some plays as well. So they, yeah, they, they could were, they could really give people a run for their money this year. Oh, definitely. Yeah, they were. Yeah, Tyler was looking looking great. Um, he they seemed very motivated for his game. I know they lost to uh, my. I know Miami lost to A and M uh, last season, and it seemed like Miami was very motivated to win this game because before this game, I would have said. I felt very strong about A&M winning it that Miami seemed just like kind of like ticked off. Like they were just motivated. And once again, like we're seeing just throughout, you know, throughout the, this weekend, we saw aggressive play calling and, and uh, coach Dawson called it aggressive game. Just they had answers they had answers for the answers. Right. And they were just keeping um, A&M just on their heels defensively with the, just like their play calling and just being ahead of it. Um, yeah. Miami, I know, I know Miami fans are very happy. They might be. They might think that they're back after this game. So we'll see how the season goes. Everybody's for them. back, <laughs> right? <laughs> we're back. Everybody's it's, it's back. Like, it's like we're back weekend, right? Because the teams that usually are down, like the Texas and and Miami, or and I can't think of our team off my head, but it seems like they had one good week, one good one good uh, game, and so now they're like fan, the fan base is feeling feeling good again. So I guess we'll see how the season goes for both teams. Yeah, I mean, I'd say I'd say this. Reason to be optimistic. That was, I mean, kind of back to what we were saying about Texas, just the variety that they showed on offense. We've kind of hammered home the point the past two weeks about, you know, a successful offense has to be able to run the ball well. But I think the second thing behind that is being able to push the ball down the field um, yes. and be able to take shots. And I mean, they're able to do that. And that's that's kind of, to me, what separates them from last year. I feel like they still ran the ball fairly well last year, but they had absolutely no downfield passing game last year. And they, in the biggest moments of the game, and it was, I think, they A&M had come back and answered. It was a four- or five-point game 
third and seven or eight, you know, A&M's got a chance to get the ball and go take the lead, and they throw, a, you know, just a go ball down the right sideline, completed between the corner and safety, makes a man miss and scores a 65 or 70-yard touchdown or whatever. And that's, to me, is what separates them from last year is that they've got those guys, you know, Tyler Van Dyke's got the confidence in them that they can push the ball down the field. And I'll tell you what, they're, I mean, there's a lot of argument on the A&M side about, you know, scheme on defense as far as what's happening with the de- defensive line. But there are some talented dudes on the A&M defensive line. Without and a doubt. Mi- Miami's offensive line looked incredible. I mean, Tyler Van Dyke had all day to throw the ball, it felt like, every single time he dropped back. And that was, you know, whether it was five-man protection, six-man, seven-man, he, you know, he just seemed very comfortable back there. You know, a lot of clean pockets. And I know I'll be rooting for them a lot this year because I'm hoping that they're as good as they showed. But, I mean, there was that was definitely a different Miami team than, than what we saw last year. Definitely. Yeah, and, and Jake, you made the point about Miami's offensive line. And Mario Cristobal, he's an offensive line guy. Like, he he was an offensive line coach for years and years and years. And his offensive line coach at Miami, Alex Mirabel, uh, is a phenomenal offensive coach. And they just take the craft of coaching O-line really seriously at Miami. Um, and they had all the way back to when they were at Oregon together as well. And it's it's cool to see the recruitment and development happening simultaneously with those guys at Miami. And I think one one thing that it's kind of a cliche in the coaching world, but it, it really is true, is you get what you emphasize. You know, you can't emphasize everything, but you do get what you emphasize. And I think Miami has placed a premium on their offensive line, cleaning up those issues, recruiting and developing, and if you can build a kind of a juggernaut up front, whether it's offensive or defensive line, you have a chance. You have a chance in just about every game you play if you can win at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, we can we celebrate quarterbacks and skill position guys, but if you can't protect and you can't move the football at, at the point of attack, it's going to be a struggle. And so kudos to Miami for kind of building that foundation. And I'm I'm interested to see kind of how they progress uh, the rest of the season. Yeah, it, it'd be interesting to see if they become like an ACC favorite, you know. And as for A and M, sometimes you go to Miami and take an L. I feel like some, many of us been there before, right? So hopefully they could they could bounce back and you know make make a make a run this season. And once again, like Connor Connor still you know played well overall with what was happening defensively uh, with Miami. You know how they were attacking them. Um, but as for Miami, they're known for having these big time skill players, obviously, right? Recruiting, recruiting in Broward and Dade County in South Florida. There's so much talent just within, you know, seven mile radius of the school, two county, even a two county radius of the school. So, um, crystal ball put an emphasis on O-lineman. That's, that's smart. That's genius on their end because they're always going to have skilled guys and they pair, pair those skilled guys with O-lineman. It's like, watch out world if they're able to, you know, figure it out and be consistent with that. Yeah, I think I think Miami's trending in the right direction, but we don't want to crown anybody just yet. I, right. It's too early. It's too early. I think, <laughs> Only I think that's Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we can go ahead and crown <laughs> Texas. Go ahead. Uh, no, I mean I think there it's a long season and there's a lot to be figured out. I think Victory is a great play call.